Good evening and Happy New Year to everyone in Alberta, Canada and beyond. It is Wednesday, January 10th, 2024 and I'm Carrie Lambert and I welcome you to an online webinar evening of solutions for a new Alberta brought to you by the Alberta Prosperity Project, also known as APP. APP's purpose is to educate, inspire and unite all Albertans, businesses and organizations to protect their prosperity, individual freedoms, rights and sovereignty by empowering the Alberta government to restructure Alberta's relationship with Canada. Of course, we couldn't do this without your help. If you can, please share this webinar. We're on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and Rumble, as well as after this live. We're also on other video and audio sites like Apple, Spotify, Vimeo, etc. These webinars do take time and effort, and we're starting with sponsorships of our webinars. If you'd like to sponsor an upcoming webinar, please get in contact with us at contact at albertaprosperity.com, which is also on the top of the albertaprosperityproject.com website. Uh, we were on a Christmas break for the last three weeks, so this is actually a live, believe it or not, live back at you starting uh, starting 2024. We did replay the top uh, three of the top 10 APP webinars of 2023, curated by yours truly, uh, out of approximately 40 episodes that we did. And so there was a lot of there was a lot of good stuff in there. And on um, we decided on December 23rd was the history of independence in Alberta with Michael Wagner and December 27th is can Alberta afford to stay in Canada much longer. That was with Marty up north. And of course, last week's was uh, January 3rd in a discussion on the Alberta pension plan with Tanner today. And if you'd like to know the rest of my top 10 list, I'll be posting that on the January 15th edition of the APP newsletter, which you only get if you are an APP member. APP memberships are one year for $20, two years, $30, three years for 40, or you can make a donation at albertaprosperityproject.com. Of course, we wouldn't be able to do any of this without you being able to support us and getting some bums in seats for all of our events that are coming up this year. So we've got quite a few things. Uh, we've got um, uh, Brett Olin's actually going to be at an event in, uh, in Grand Prairie tomorrow. And uh, we've also got a few chapter meetings. We've got, of course, Tucker Carlson. I'll be talking a bit more about that in a second. But we're also starting the Alberta Pension Plan Tour. And uh, that's going to be taking place, I believe, up north. We're doing uh, Picture Butte. We're doing Peace River. Uh, and you can always just go on to the albertaprosperityproject.com and go to the events page to see what's happening there. Of course, we are very interested in having people get out to see Tucker and Tucker Carlson, we are sponsoring that through APP. And uh, and again, you can just go to the website and check that out. We do have sections uh, set up, section 104, rows 5 to 10, and section 118, rows 5 to 10. And uh, just to give you an idea of how busy this place is, this is Roger's place right here. And we are sitting right in there and right in there. And those tickets are $175. And there are no added fees on top of that if you go through the, the link on the page. So it's $175 versus paying the almost $200 for that. And I also know that uh, our good buddy Christopher Scott, who will be joining us quickly too, is also selling some other tickets through the Whistle Stop Cafe. And uh, there he is. There, there's Tucker. Uh, and you can just go to the whistlestoptruckstop.ca webpage in order to get that. And those tickets, I believe, are well up here right in the stage area so if you want to get so close that you can uh smell what uh what tucker had for for dinner that night you can be that that's where you want to be that's exactly where you want to be 
So, and with that, what else are we going to talk about here? So, um, I guess that's probably all with that. We're, we're going to jump right into this episode here, and I'm just going to get rid of this for a second. We're going to jump right into this episode here. So, tonight's episode is called The Carbon Tax and Mainstream Media Bias. And uh, I actually, that, that title should probably be just called How the Trudeau Government Pays Off the Mainstream Media. But I'm, I'll let Chris Sims, uh, who's the director of, uh, of the Canadian Taxpayers Federation in Alberta, and she's also worked in the mainstream media in the past. And of course, she's been a guest on, uh, on our webinars as well, even last year. And uh, of course, we also have uh, Alberta Prosperity Project's interim CEO, Christopher Scott, who will be joining us. And it is a live webinar, so we encourage you to ask questions and make comments throughout this presentation. Just put three question marks before your question, so it will be flagged and we can quickly view the questions. And with that, I will now bring on Chris and Chris. There you go. Hello, Hello everybody. How Hi. are you? <laughs> Why did I not think Chris and Chris, like even before this happened, until I was like- You can like, call me oh. Sims. I only ever go by my last name because there's always 10 Chris's everywhere. Oh, we, got we, go. we got Sims and Scott there. There, there we go. go. Just don't call me what you usually call me, Carrie. <laughs> That's true too. Late for dinner? <laughs> that was a family show. So. Uh, so, you know, there's so much to talk about. And, and I'm not sure if I should just, should I just burst right into this? This clip that I wanted to show because no. I know everyone. No, why? No, you shouldn't. Because I have to do a shameless rent. plug first. First oh, of all, okay. you should well, know. Shameless plug. I am a uh, unashamed capitalist. So Carrie mentioned that there's a Tucker Carlson event in Edmonton. Uh, there's also one in Calgary, but the one we're focusing on right now is in Edmonton. So he mentioned right. that uh, their Alberta Prosperity Project has some seats, some tickets for sale, uh, and he right. showed you where those tickets are. There's all sorts of tickets out there right now. There's the Alberta Prosperity Project tickets. There's some nosebleed tickets that I'm also promoting on the Whistle Stop Cafe under the uh, title Far, Far Away from the Stage because they're really, really far away. But they're kind of a pay at whatever you can ticket. To be clear, um, the different tickets are different prices. So the ones that I purchased for the, for, through the Whistle Stop Cafe near the stage, those are row four and five. So you, if Tucker's a moist talker, you're going to get moistly talked on. That's how close to the stage are. Those tickets are 500 bucks. Yes, it's very expensive, but I got those ones for a reason. If you want to attend the event, you can't afford that, get some tickets farther back. Buy the Alberta Prosperity Project tickets in section, uh, I believe, 121. Those are decent tickets. And if you can't afford that and you want to attend, make a $5 donation to our friends at uh, Take, back, Take Back Alberta and get yeah. tickets in the, in the nosebleeds and you can watch Tucker, Rex, and Conrad on the Jumbotron. So... That's my shameless yeah. plug, and thanks for mentioning yeah. it, Carrie. <laughs> also, say, that's you please know what? Buy I, I, <laughs> when when you're sitting that far back, and yeah, I've gone to many many concerts, and if you're right up front, of course, I love being up front, being able to hear the, the musicians, and even uh, you know, I'm not sure why we're so uh, so infatuated with spit, but if they're spitting and you're that close, then wow, like you you really are. But if you're at the back, you actually get a better mix. You get a better yeah. sense of, of how the music sounds. And you'll actually get a better sound, I think, in terms of being that far back. But that's just me being the audio guy. And a good so, view because the cameras oh, on the, are on the Jumbotron and you're getting a great view. So, you know, Carrie, right. you know what? Those tickets, all these things we want to do, they're very expensive these days. And do you know why yes, they're expensive yeah. in part? Uh, because everything is taxed to death. Yes. 
Specifically, we pay a carbon tax. We pay a tax on the very air we exhale. We pay a tax on the energy we use to do things like have an event where we can listen to some uh, brilliant people. So maybe yeah. we should talk about that tonight. Yeah, I think that would be great. Uh, but I wanted to talk about the media first. <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah, sure. That I want to do that because... That. Only because it's a really hot topic today, and with it being minus 35 here in Alberta, we want to talk about the hot topic. So I'm just going to start playing this. If you haven't seen this, our viewers, uh, you will probably see this over the next three or four days. So let's uh, let's just start. Hopefully you can hear the audio as well. And how come the IRDC is not a terrorist group? Oh, yeah. Why is your government supporting Islamo-Nationalism? What? You you pushed into me. You bumped into me. I was just scrubbing. I got my credentials here and you just bumped into me. So excuse Police, me. you're under arrest. What is your name and your badge? All right, we don't have to see the rest of that, but that it really just kind of pinpoints what is going on in independent media nowadays. And, uh, and it makes my blood boil because I'm not sure exactly where that is going to stop. And, uh, and Chris uh, Sims uh, actually worked with uh, the Menzoid. Uh, and, and maybe, maybe you can just tell us a little bit about maybe a little bit of that history of, uh, of how you were able to, to work with them, uh, what your back history for that. And then we'll jump right into that clip because it's, uh, I find it disturbing. Almost as disturbing as, as Mr. Scott over there. <laughs> right. Well, I think this has been disturbing for a lot of people. What I've yeah. found interesting is that um, this has gotten mainstream media coverage. Yeah. And they've, they've played it mostly right down the middle of the plate. So yeah. I've seen mainstream media here in Canada and to some extent internationally just saying, whoa, like what's going on here? Uh, yeah. There are some dissenters, but most of the most of the media are saying things like, what on earth just happened here? And this is a big overstep. And I think that that was proven true because shortly after Mr. Menzies was taken into custody, uh, all of a sudden it was, oh, nobody's charging you with anything and we're letting you go. Oh, so, okay. uh, mm -hmm. so if something really had happened there, one would mm -hmm. think that they would be pursuing charges, but yes, they're not. Yeah. So yeah. a bit of background. Uh, I was a member of Sun News Network uh, from startup to shutdown. Mm -hmm. And it was uh, started up. When was that? I think it was 2011. And we ran to 2015, almost four years long. Uh, mm -hmm. I worked with uh, Mr. Menzies, uh, David, David Menzies for a few years there while he was there. He was yeah. largely uh, based out of Toronto, yeah. whereas I was largely based out of the Parliamentary Bureau for Sun News uh, in Ottawa. And mm -hmm. then after that, I was out in Nova Scotia. I was the Atlantic Bureau Chief for Sun. So, um, and I, I worked with him in different situations where we'd go to a protest, something like that. And it was basically, you're there with a the camera and you're asking questions just like that. Yeah. Um, and what was happening here, as far as I can tell, because I don't work with him anymore, but as far as I can tell, um, this was uh, going to a memorial service for a jet that had been downed uh, by the Iranian government. Okay. And it was a memorial service, including for the Canadians who perished on the plane. Mm -hmm. And what I think he was trying to ask her there is, why haven't you designated this certain group? 
as a terrorist organization. Now, that is a political question. It's not something yeah. CTF deals with. Yeah. So that was the political question. As far as a journalist question goes, that's a straight up question. Yeah, yeah. So it was just the facts, ma'am, who, what, where, when, why, putting the mic into the face of the powerful, you know, what's going on here. Yeah. And I think what has taken a lot of journalists of all persuasions, I would say, uh, by surprise is just how aggressive and over the top it was. Yeah. Um, and while not directly connected to the funding, I do think that this is a symptom of where we are going. So increasingly so, I've noticed that there isn't the perceived to be neutral playing field of common chatter or discourse anymore. Mm -hmm. There is tribes on this side and there's tribes on that side and they're just fighting with each other. And I think as a journalist, I think the fact that the government is now putting more and more mainstream journalists on the government payroll with one side. <laughs> While on the other side, trying to crush or stifle online independent journalists through uh, things like the CRTC, through red yeah. tape, through regulation, and in yeah. some cases, online link taxes, it's doing this. And I think that tension is helping to get scenes like this playing out. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's... Uh... Again, whether or not it was a setup or not, uh, it was somebody who had said that. And uh, I don't know. I, looking at it, it, it looked pretty legit to me. And the, the whole conversation afterwards seemed to be, uh, uh, like I said, intimidating. And um, and and what what really strikes me, I guess, in terms of uh, the, the way journalism is happening right now is we were saying, would this have happened if there, that was a CTV reporter? or a CBC reporter. And if it did, how would that have played out? Would it have played out differently? That's a really good question. So again, speaking personally, mm -hmm. uh, as a journalist, I would be equally as upset if yeah. this were a Georgia Strait reporter or a left-wing you yeah. know, origin reporter um, peppering Pierre Polyev with questions about, I don't know, his justice plan or something. And yeah. if the same thing happened to them. Yeah. Right. Because yeah. we're supposed to be in a country where we can speak truth to power by using a free press. Yes. So a free press does not mean that those rolled up newspapers on the old timey newspaper stand are for free. It's free from government interference. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, we just watched a block check happen there as yeah. far as we can see. Yeah. Um, that looked pretty interfering. And I yeah. think that is what's sticking in the craw of people here. Again, yeah. regardless of political bias or origin, if you flipped the table and the same thing happened, it would be just as wrong. Yeah. And so maybe I'm always an optimist. Maybe this will get people talking to each other a little bit more. Yeah. Maybe this will make journalists kind of see eye to eye a little bit more and say, you know what? Nobody answer the question. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Because for a long time, this was a an un because you didn't have to write stuff down. This was an unwritten rule in the parliamentary press gallery, and I was a member of the press gallery for years, more than ten years straight in Ottawa. Um, if a politician refused to answer your question that you asked, it was common decency for the next person, if they were speaking English, if they had to go to French, that was fine. But the next English question, them to pick it up and say, no, actually, I'm going to repeat verbatim what my colleague just asked you, yeah. even if you worked for a different company. Hmm. Same sort of thing when it came to restrictions. 
And so if, you know, the federal government tried saying only certain outlets are allowed to ask me questions during this scrum or you're not allowed in here because I'm singling you out as a media organization, usually not always, but usually journalists would close rank and say, no, bud, (laughs) you have to answer all of our questions or at least take questions from all of us. We can't force you to say stuff. Um, You have to take questions from all of us or none of us. That's how maybe the divide is is too great now, even between journalists. I mean, the divide between the left and the right is it's not just a you know something you hop over anymore. It's the friggin' Grand Canyon. This is what I meant by my sense of it's really sad. I won't get emotional, but it's really sad. Um, This is what I meant by my sense of I'm sensing that kind of neutral football field. It seems to be gone. Yeah, it really seems to be gone. Uh, Although, again, because this has gotten mainstream coverage maybe there's still little ledges there and we can we can try to bridge that divide but i think the divide is being made worse and this brings me back to the ctf's position of journalists can't be paid by the government yes absolutely you can't, you can't hold the government to account if you're counting on the government for your paycheck yeah it's yeah. obvious yeah. and so maybe this will get that conversation rolling a little bit more mm-hmm. but even that with mean- that uh, if the cbc and ctv and global are getting you know the numbers, I'm assuming. Yeah, uh, I can. Uh, exactly how much they're actually making. And then, you know, you would be hard-pressed to actually go and ask the tough questions because you're afraid of not getting your paycheck. You are. I can break down those numbers if you're... Yeah, yeah okay. please do, yeah. So let's start with the big, with the behemoth, and that is the CBC. So yeah. the CBC is government-funded media no matter what they want to say on X or Twitter, they are government-funded media. Uh, They get more than $1 billion per year from the taxpayer. Okay, It's been at about that rate of pay now for well over a decade. So this A billion with a B, folks. Not an M, a B. That's correct. And for people who, if your eyes glaze over like mine do, and when you hear a billion, okay, instead of thinking of just this ginormous number, a billion dollars would pay for a thousand new police officers, yeah. their salaries for 10 years. Yeah. Or a, a billion dollars. New, there you go. A thousand new nurses yeah. or a thousand new paramedics yeah. for 10 years. Or if That's you need a visual representation, a billion dollars is a thousand piles of a million dollars each. Yes. yes. <clears throat> or visualize a new hospital. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A smaller but new hospital. Yeah, and that's Ooh. what we pay the CBC. Our tax Every money pays the CBC every year. Okay, so the CBC was started uh, during wartime back in the Second World War. Its its mandate was to broadcast Canadian culture back to Canadians. It started out by basically broadcasting the weather reports for farmers, uh, yeah. hockey. Okay, and in some cases, kind of soap opera dramas, because they were trying to compete with the powerhouses that were coming out of CBS New York and CBS Chicago at the time. Little do people know is that we already had, I think it was over 130 private radio stations in Canada already. It wasn't just the CBC. They were privately owned radio stations before the CBC started. In Mm -hmm. fact, uh, back in the day, there was a member of parliament that was standing up just before the war saying, why are we paying for this CBC thing? Nobody's listening to it. And it's getting, you know, bad ratings and all this stuff. We don't need it. We have private radio. 
then the war hit and everything changed because being yeah. able to be a foreign correspondent was a whole different kettle of fish. Yeah. So that's the CBC. Now it is enormous. It's more yes. than a billion dollars. It's got several thousand employees, several thousand more contractors and paid personalities. They've expanded into online, especially online print, much to the annoyance of many newspaper owners. Yeah. Um, and they have different apps and uh, services like music services, all sorts of stuff that they're into now. Yeah. That's the CBC. Yeah. Up until very recently, they were the only form of of media that we were paying, okay, other than bursaries and little grants and stuff for magazines and whatnot that have always been there. It is, it is legit taxpayers' money. It was always there. But there's a new thing now, and people often refer to it as the media bailout, okay? Mm -hmm. So the media bailout was around-ish half a billion dollars leading up to just now. So the folks over at Blacklock's Reporter, which is an independent online investigative journalism source, I strongly, highly recommend them. They're amazing. Okay. They don't take government money. They did the math. And also the folks over at Canada Land, to give them credit, which I would describe as more of a small L left wing, uh, like news organization slash podcast. Again, they don't take government money, which is super important. They did the numbers. And for the newsrooms that take this bailout money, they were getting on average $14,000 per position per year, okay? The Trudeau government just doubled it. So now the newsrooms and the media companies that are taking this money from the federal government are getting roughly $29,000 per position per year. So folks, do, do a mental experiment. Picture half or a third of your paycheck coming from that guy. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, You're, you're going right. to chase him down a hallway and stick a mic in his face and ask him uncomfortable questions about his ethics or his spending or his trip overseas or his behavior at committee. You can't. Mm -hmm. You can't. And even, even if you tried, okay, give you an example. Adrian Arsenault longtime journalist. She was a yeah. foreign correspondent for years. She's literally worn a flak vest and a helmet. Okay. She does serious W5 journalism at the CBC. She yeah. is now an anchor. She had her boss on TV and was grilling her about taking a huge bonus before Christmas. That's right. That's right. Yeah. You've probably seen that footage. Yeah. Yeah. Even though she's trying her darndest, we all know she's being paid by the government. So it's the same thing with ethics. Yeah. It's the perception of corruption or the perception of bias yeah. that just sinks you. And so now we've got the CBC that's always been there and funded by the taxpayers, okay, yeah. since the 30s. But now we have this new gangling monster of mainstream media sources latched on to this source of government funding. Yeah. And you can't do it. Like, as a journalist, you just can't take government money and try to hold them to account. Andrew Coyne, again, somebody who appears on the CBC, he's as mainstream as it gets. He has said, this is an obvious conflict of interest, guys. We can't do this. So this is where we're at right now with the media funding. Do you want to get into the censorship on the other side of the coin? Well, we, we certainly before can't. We, All I say, before we do I that, gonna... I won't interrupt you, Carrie, because I never do that. All I was going to say, so when we're talking mainstream media, of course, everybody assumes it's 
CTV, uh, SCTV and global. But there's there's also uh, like isn't there like the Sun? There's routers. Yep. There's uh, uh, the Globe and Mail. There's McLean's. So anything that of that group has obviously done some lobbying or something in order to get the money from the Canadian government. It would be very difficult for Chris and I to lobby and get some of that money or, or, you know, some of the smaller, say rebel news or true North or, and I know nobody would, but it would be very difficult. So how, what would that process be for these behemoths in order to get that? Great question. So up until recently, before it doubled and stuff, it was largely as far as we know, okay, because it's hard to get information on this. They'll black stuff out because it's competition, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, yeah. As far as we know, it was largely newspapers, okay, big and small, that were getting funded in this way, okay? We're not sure which broadcasters were getting it, if any. And by broadcasters, I mean radio and television. That appears to have changed now with the doubling of the payments. Mm -hmm. And we have reason to believe this because we had, for example, uh, the head of Global, okay? Worked with him before too, really nice guy. Mm -hmm. Um, We had the head of Global uh, pleading his case at the, I think it was the Senate committee, basically saying, we're gonna go belly up, we can't afford to operate anymore, we need help, whatever that meant. And most of these media groups have now signed on to this lobby group, okay? I can't remember what it's called. It's something like News Media of Canada, like something really generic. But it's a lobby group that is made up of lobbyists and former mainstream media journalists who know how to talk the talk on the bars on Slater and Wellington and Elgin in the downtown core of Ottawa. And they were the ones negotiating slash lobbying the government on behalf of these companies. So just like any other company that wants corporate welfare, okay, they will hook up with these spokespeople for these lobby groups in Ottawa who all live there and they all know each other. They all know the reporters, they all know the politicians and their staff, okay? It's part of the Ottawa bubble. And then they convince them to give them money, give them a contract, whatever it is. In this case with the media, it's the same thing. Mm -hmm. But the problem here, which is why the Taxpayers Federation is involved, is because the media is one of the key elements of being able to hold government to account. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. We cannot hold government accountable if media are all on government payroll. That's a huge problem. And alternatively, if the alternative press, if online press, if independent news media is being crushed with regulation and censorship, we won't be able to find out how much Trudeau spent on his vacation. We won't be able to, you know, find out if they built, you know, uh, a fake gazebo in a ridiculous lake for some G8 meeting like they did back in 2012. Like, we will be frozen out from that information, which is why we need independent media, media free from the government to ask these tough questions. But even even with that, I know like Rebel News can't go in and, and ask uh, parliamentary questions. So is it the government that's just kind of saying, you know what, I'll, I'll cherry pick and I'm only going to pick CBC. I'm only going to pick CTV. And before you ask that question, I know Chris wants to ask another question, but I just want to follow up. Pierre Polyev has also gone and said, you know what, going forward, I want to defund the CBC. I want to shut them down, et cetera, et cetera. My concern about that in particular is, is it just CBC? 
because as far as I'm concerned, if that 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 defund the CBC should be defund the mainstream media, that would be mm -hmm. more more politically correct. The most um, I, I'm 99 percent sure um, yeah. I'm on the spot now, but I'm 99 percent sure he has said defund the media and cancel the media bailouts yeah. like yeah. no taxpayers money going yeah. to media organizations. Yeah. Like go no, fundraise uh, yourselves. Stop artificially extending the life of the dodo. This is it. And you know, this is it. Like if I can give a little bit of insider baseball here, yeah. um, when I graduated a million years ago from journalism school uh, in a decently sized newsroom, there'd be around 20 people. Okay. Mm -hmm. Most of them reporters. Now there's three. Like wow. the, the numbers have just like, they're gone. Like yeah. if you drive past, for example, drive past in Calgary, as you're heading South, like coming to visit me here in Lethbridge. Mm -hmm. And as you're just, I think you're just past the airport and you kind of look to the left and there's this gigantic national post. And I think a Calgary Herald building. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That I guarantee you that thing is like cavernously empty. Okay. It used to be full. Okay. Of, you know, not just reporters, but like all the admin staff and everything. Yeah. They were powerhouses. And yeah. so little insider thing. That's also why you see the same thing reported all the time. Mm -hmm. Okay. That's why you see now um, whatever bureaucrat wants to stand behind a podium for hours on end and speak off about whatever live event they're doing. doesn't matter what they're wasting taxpayers money on. That's why they take it live all the time because they've yeah. got hours to feed, to fill here. They don't have those reporters that are doing the human interest story that are covering the amateur baseball that are doing all this. They, they don't exist. Those right. positions are gone. Okay. Yeah. And so that is also feeding into this. And to your point, Chris, this is why, they're really bleeding revenue and they're bleeding viewers because yeah. that model they're having trouble adjusting to it, to put it yeah. nicely. Yeah. Uh, also, but this is what's so tragic about it. So while they are, you know, bleeding out in that way or needing to restructure, because there are ways to restructure. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, they, they did that with city back in the day when much music started and people started becoming VJs and doing their own yeah, camera work. Right. Yeah. That was a revolution, right? That happened in the early 90s because for the longest time, you know, reporters, there'd be one little reporter and then there would be a cameraman and then there would be an audio tech and then maybe a producer it was a team. And yeah. then eventually the rubber hit the road. It's like, we can't afford this anymore. You figure out, darling, how to do your camera work yourself. Mm -hmm. And so you started seeing stand-ups of people in mirrors and in windows and it was edgy and cool, right? They took the, the no more tripods. Yeah. Um, so we, they have adapted before and they flourished, but this time it's this massive growing pain and what's bad about this. And I'm, if there's any current and fellow journalists listening right now, the reason why you are losing public trust is because you're taking government money. Yeah. Okay. People know that you're doing this. That's right. And now we have got trust at an all time low in journalism. It was, I can't remember the exact number, but it was around half. It was around 50% of Canadians now believe that journalists are intentionally trying to mislead them with statements they know to be false. That's they're probably crazy. just trying to, they're probably just trying to keep the, uh, <laughs> the paychecks flowing, you know? And this is it. That's the perception. Even if they weren't, say magically they weren't. They were trying to be as pure as a driven snow, just the facts, ma'am. 
because yeah. of that money flowing, that's exactly the perception. And yeah. so that and is why you're going to get that level of distrust. And again, I need to stress, journalists make mistakes, but they're supposed to be innocent mistakes. You get a date yeah. wrong or mispronounce somebody's name. Right. And yeah. that usually really bothers you. You're supposed mm -hmm. to. But no, no, no. People don't think that they're flubbing or having a typo now. 50% of people roughly now think they're intentionally misleading them. That's crazy. And, and like you said, it's like tabloid headlines because they need to capture our our five second in, uh, attention spans. And, you know, Wait. I'm I'm a fan of a, of a good catchy headline. If you want to go read some of the old New York Post headlines from back in the day, those were art. They used yeah. to employ one person to do that. That was his whole job <laughs> yeah. That's right. was to write the headline for the New York Post. But right. the facts underneath that catchy headline have got to matter. You yeah. got to get your story straight and have your W5s in there and you can yeah. have your own spin on it. Like whatever. We're not all robots, yeah. but uh, it's because it's now largely on government payroll. I think that is causing a lot of the distrust in journalism. Now yeah. I have to make and a correction just, here. I got to make a correction. This isn't government payroll. It's not government money, folks. That's your money. That's oh, yeah, my for money. Sure. So the government has legislated that we have to hand over our money to them so they can pay the Ministry of Truth to tell us what to think. Yeah. Yeah, it's taxpayers' money. I don't yeah. like calling it taxpayer-funded because it is taxpayer-funded because it's taxpayers' money. But that gives me a sense of, and we have a say. Right. Yeah. Right. No, it's, it's, a, it's a severe case of taxation without representation because I was going to mention earlier, thank goodness for democracy that Alberta could just elect a bunch of conservative MPs and we can go to parliament and say, no, we're not doing this anymore. Right. Wrong. We can. This is it. This is it. But I think so. Put it this way. Um, now that we have a mainstream party, the official opposition saying something as big and bold as defund the CBC, and I'm almost positive, stop the media bailouts. Yeah, We wouldn't have heard that 10 years ago. This idea right. of like defund the CBC being mainstream yeah. like this was, you never would have heard that. And well, so ten, I think- hmm? 10 years ago, I don't think it was as, as prominent as it is now. Like, I really do think that when Trudeau took over, things went sideways, like specifically about what we're being told uh, as, 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 People who live in Canada, Canadians, uh, we're, we're basically dictated to what, what we should be told and, and not only what we're told, but what we should tell our neighbors. Mm -hmm. So if, if it's something that, okay, it's got to be true, and I want you to tell your neighbor that this is also true. There's another I, thing that happened, Carrie. It wasn't just Trudeau. Yeah. Um, you also have to recognize that some of the, like, the institutional news anchors that we grew up with the, the yeah. men and women who really believed in the job and did hold people to account, they retired yeah. or died. You know, and you remember yeah. them. This is Lloyd Robertson, blah, blah, blah. Lloyd Robertson. They were, we might not have agreed with them, but yeah. they were fierce in their journalism, and that is gone. Yeah. It's, it's hard to see. <laughs> As a longtime journalist, it's hard to see. I worked with Lloyd, uh, and when I was a parliamentary, I was a parliamentary producer for CTV for a long time. Hmm. And, uh, Again, I remember people with whom, I'll put it this way, we probably voted differently, but we worked hard to get all the facts straight as best we knew yeah. them to the best of our ability yeah. and to hold government to account. And so I remember watching reporters as a producer. I remember watching reporters 
chase down a liberal MP as fast as they would chase down a conservative MP and pepper them with questions. Um, I don't know what the scene is like there now because I'm no longer on Parliament Hill, but I, I was definitely sensing a change for a long time there. Um, I think a lot of factors are playing into that. But again, I think largely it's because the bodies are no longer in those newsrooms. The To your point, Chris, I think some of the veteran longtime anchors, those journalists, yeah. have left. And so I think that they've been, to use another boat metaphor, they've been a bit rudderless, right? Mm -hmm. They haven't had the same sort of direction that was there before. And so now it's all of this combination of stuff on top of that with the government funding them that is causing this um, crisis of trust in journalism. I mm -hmm. think it can be brought back. I think if they canceled all of the funding and said, hey, folks, we're going to focus on what matters to you. Everybody send in your emails and tell us your top 10 you want us to cover and mm -hmm. started doing more of the viewer and listener interactions and having a few town holly type things. Mm -hmm. I do think that that can be gained back. I, I am a, an optimistic person. Um, and so I do think it can be gained back. You know, I still talk to the media all the time. You know, I, I talk to mainstream media. I talk to alternative media most of the time. They're hardworking young people that are busting their butts to get the right clip and to go cover this and to go do that yep. and to get their yep. story done for five. That's still largely what they're all doing. Yeah. Um, and so I, again, this crisis of trust bothers me. And I think that one of the main reasons for it is because they're taking government money. And I understand, like I was with Sun News Network when it was shut down. I know how hard it is to have your company flailing and to mm -hmm. be terrified for your job. I get it. But you can't shake hands with that deal because yeah. it's going to ruin your trust with your viewers. Yeah. You mentioned uh, the, the newsrooms are empty now. And our we've had this conversation with our friend Corey Morgan over the Western oh, Standard. Yeah. Uh, he did a, a little tour with us called the Ambassadors for Alberta Independence Tour. And he mentioned that uh, journalists, reporters, they're gone the way of the classified ads, right? The classified ads used to pay for those 20 people in that newsroom. Yes. And I can imagine young Peter Parker in the newsroom <coughs> watching Lloyd Anderson do this stellar journal, or Lloyd Robertson, pardon me, do this stellar journalism and thinking, man, I want to be that guy. I want to work and I want to get to the point where I'm respected as a journalist like that. That's, uh, right. that's not there anymore. Now you have these three people probably fairly young and not as high paid as some of those uh, fantastic journalists from days gone by, just trying to survive, uh, paying almost 70% of their income to taxes in one way or another, Boom. and terrified to stand up against the machine that the government's created that pays their paycheck. Right? It's, it's a totally right. different world. Yep. You're 100% right. Let's, uh, to your point, let's, let's build upon that story, right? Yeah. So picture yourself exactly as Chris set up there. You're 24 years old. You probably have student debt. You're working uh, for some downtown, you know, not picking on them, some downtown Vancouver media company. Uh, you're one of four or five people because it's a big city, four or five people working the newsroom. Okay. It is your job to cover everything. Okay. Whatever comes down the pipe, whatever your news director, who's probably only a little bit older than you now, yeah. probably not even 30. And it's your news director saying, go cover this. You've got limited resources and you have to not only not only go get the story and get it all written, you often need to videotape it yourself. You need to edit yourself. 
You need mm -hmm. to do a live talk back on the six o'clock or the five o'clock and you need to post it on the internet and you need to tweet and social and all this other stuff. Okay. So that's all this stuff crammed into that. And to your point, Chris, and by the way, your rent for the upstairs floor of a small house in Langley is about $3,000 a month. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And you're yeah. paying almost $2 a liter for gasoline for your Honda because yeah. you can't take public transit in at five in the morning, which is when your shift starts. Like, That's right. this is it. It's all these different factors that are making this worse. And exactly to your point on the taxes, if you're being taxed or overinflated with your expenses, which is exactly what's happened because they printed $300 billion out of thin air, mm -hmm and it caused massive inflationary problems, yeah. and you're getting carbon taxed twice in British Columbia, two huge carbon taxes, you just can't afford stuff, okay? You can't afford any extras. And what that does psychologically is that it starts eating into your plans for yourself for the future, because mm -hmm. you can't see a way out because you're living hand to mouth, paycheck to paycheck, and in many cases going into debt to pay your bills. Yeah. Like most of those folks in the situation I just described to you are using a line of credit yeah. to pay right. for whatever bills they've got. And they're, they're forget about saving. I'll never own a house. Now start having that narrative in your head and bingo, Chris. And now it's the government that's helping to keep your job alive. Who do you and love? That's it. And You're now you got to go pepper that same minister with these tough questions. And your name and face is going to be on that story. Like all of this is bad. Yeah. And so this is again, why this funding, like it's just wrong. It's just wrong. It's a tendril. It's an attachment into media that the government has no business in. Well, um, I see a, this is a major hurdle and I'm glad that it's the conversations become mainstream. I'm glad that our prospective uh, future prime minister is speaking about this, but, it seems to me that if the government is the one paying the media and the media are the ones that are uh, at times propping up the government or spinning a narrative that supports government policy, whatever, how in the world can we ever expect to get out from underneath that kind of a scheme? Well, so let's just say for argument's sake, I'm again, I'm 99% sure he said we're canceling all of the media. Funding. I, I so think you're right. Yeah. So let's yeah. just say for argument's sake, that is, I'm not trying to put words in his mouth. Let's say for argument's sake, that is what he said. Um, well, then he's going to have to keep that election promise. Yeah. Okay. In the same way that he has promised to scrap the carbon taxes. Okay. In the same way he's promised to defund the CBC. Uh, we as citizens, right as taxpayers, as uh, Alberta Prosperity, whatever group you're with or individual or your neighborhood coffee clatch, it is incumbent upon us to hold the politicians to account and for them to keep their promises. So that's then when it falls back into our court. So again, if Trudeau woke up tomorrow and adopted all of these policies, we'd be thrilled. If he canceled the media bailout, if he you know, defunded the CBC, if he canceled the carbon taxes. So this isn't about the color of the jersey. Okay. We don't care if it's red or blue. Stop wasting our money. Stop hiking yeah. our taxes. Okay. So say that this all changed uh, and there was a new government, the party in charge is now the new government. Um, then, yeah, then it's up to us to hold them to account. It's up to us to phone our member of parliament and say, hey, man or lady, uh, you promised to scrap this and scrap that. 
when's it happening? Who's meeting on this bill? Which committee is going to be helping to draft this thing up? When are you voting on it? It's then incumbent upon us to hold them to account and for them to keep their promises. What's beautiful here in Alberta, and we need this at the federal level, in Alberta, we have recall legislation, both at the at three, provincial, municipal, and school board. Yeah. So that means that if the politician, whoever it is, isn't living up to their promises or is blowing your money or doing something bad, you can force a by-election in between big yeah. you know, big mommy elections. You can force a little baby election and you can turf them. Or they could win the by-election and be uh, validated and keep their job if they're in- indeed doing a good job. I, so- I totally agree with that because, and, and we have talked about this on the webinars in terms of how that actually works. Mm-hmm. And there is Bar just- is very high. Yeah, just so you know. So they are trying to go after uh, uh, Jody Gondek as the mayor. But in order to do that, you actually have to have 40% of the voter population in Calgary. There wasn't those who voted, the voter. 40% who voted in Calgary. So most most of them won't even care about uh, what's happening. And so the number almost seems to be, it's a number but it's out of the scope of being able to do anything on it. It's almost so I, not plausible. Yeah. I hear you. Um, it is high. Mm-hmm. It's better than it not being there. Yeah. It's a start. Maybe we can get that threshold lowered. Although uh, I think the village name is Riley in Alberta. Mm-hmm. The village of Riley, forgive me if it's the wrong name, uh, but they successfully booted their mayor. Okay. Yeah. So it worked there. I know and Red was doing the same sort of thing, and and so there was it, a, a different set of uh, set of circumstances in Chestermere, in which the UCP government actually came in and uh, strong armed the uh, the mayor out of there too. Um, which I, you know, whether or not I I I mean I I ran as a, as an MLA in that area, so I kind of know a little bit about okay. the story. But I would have almost preferred that it went to some sort of a, a by-election for that and not just had the government come in and take them out. That is on the books now that uh, I've said that because it doesn't matter whether or not he did something wrong or right uh, or what his defense was. I just don't like the whole political process that another another form of government can come in and mm. jump, for lack of a better word, that particular yeah, well, one it would be the same thing if if Trudeau said, you know what, I actually don't like what Daniel Smith's coming uh, doing. I'm going to oust her, right? Like that. Like how how is that even possible? So structurally, I, I, I have a different perspective on that. And okay. Carrie and I are on opposite sides of the fence here. So it's important to note that municipalities only exist through provincial legislation. That's why to, we that's have a minister of municipalities. Yeah. Okay. So it's actually the minister of municipalities that's responsible for everything that the Uh, the municipality does. It's basically the province saying, hey, you know what, we're going to worry about these bigger things. So we're going to allow you municipalities to elect your pseudo governments and create bylaws to manage your affairs. However, if you don't do it, and you're not fulfilling um, the mandate that's set forth by the province who has the actual jurisdiction, we're going to punt you out of there. Now, I totally understand what Carrie's saying about uh, the optics of interfering in democracy. But municipal uh, council mayors and those types of things are much more an administrative level rather than um, a, uh, a jurisdictional level level of government. So that's kind of that's kind of my view on that one. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Is structurally municipalities are different. They so, almost don't even exist. <laughs> yeah, it's weird, eh? It's like they're little satellites 
orbiting the actual planet. The planet Mm -hmm. happens to be Alberta in this case, and they're satellites, but they're beholden to our gravity, to Mm -hmm. our rockets, right, at at the planetary level. And so, again, I know it's not perfect, but it is a start, and it has been used successfully. And Mm -hmm. British Columbia actually has provincial-level recall. They don't have it for cities yet, Um, but they successfully, well, was this close. The guy finally bailed and ran away before the by-election could be held. But years ago, they did the same thing to an MLA. And so what we're saying is we know it's high threshold, we know it's a big encumbrance, but it's there. And Mm -hmm. wouldn't it be great if we actually had that at the federal level? I think I've got his original book back here somewhere, but Preston Manning (laughs) was pushing that when the first reform party was making waves uh, in Ottawa back in the early 90s. That was right around the same time the Taxpayers Federation was born as well. We were born out of that same grassroots prairie fire direct democracy push at that time. And one of the things he was pushing for was things like recall legislation at the federal government level. We would love to see it. Can you imagine (laughs) with some of these ministers that we're banging heads with all the time, um, if we had something like recall legislation, one, uh, we could maybe have a by-election and have them removed, or two, maybe the very fact that that tool is there would make them govern better. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. (laughs) We've seen a lot of tools in government, haven't we? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Chris, it would make them make more me... accountable and transparent. It can't make it worse. That's right. Chris, <laughs> do you maybe want to just do a, a quick, uh, I don't know, a minute and change on what Dr. Modri was talking about in terms of the new UCP? Um... Oh, yeah, sure. I'll, I'll, I'll mention it quickly in passing. Okay, um, yes. But yeah, that, that is an initiative that several groups are um, are working on for the next UCP AGM. And of course, the UCP is the governing party in Alberta. So if we participate in their AGMs and create policy that does things like um, uh, put in place recall mechanisms that are attainable through the party level, that those are very important things. And it is something that's being worked on. Uh, Dr. Modri and I have had discussions about how this stuff looks and uh, and others, of course. And this will be on the table at the next AGM, I believe. But you know what? I, I need to point out we're dancing around something really important, probably the most important point that any of us have uh, uh, had the opportunity to be aware of in the last three years. And that is, Chris, you touched on this. It's not so much the the government, the color of the government, the stripe of government, whatever. It's the people who are creating the parade that the government wants to get in front of. 15 years ago, uh, more than 15 years ago, years ago, a conservative... (laughs) prospective prime ministerial uh, can- candidate, party leader candidate, would not have said, let's defund main, the, the media. They would not have, oh, wait, actually, one of them did say, let's deal with the dairy board, uh, and that got lost in an election. But they wouldn't have said these things. They're saying it now, not because it's going to be a conservative government, but because the people through COVID, through the pandemic, have realized how bad the media got. So now... We've created, you look at the comments in this in this, in this this webinar, and there is a very strong opinion that the media needs to be fixed. And if mm-hmm. Pierre Polybert is saying that he's going to fix these things, it's because that party, the CPC, has spent millions of dollars polling and doing research and finding out what the parade wants. And we are, we're the parade. Now, they know that the parade wants the media dealt with. They know they want the carbon tax gone. So for me... 
this is not just a, it has nothing to do with being so proud of a prospective government for wanting to do these things. But my ad admiration is for the people of this province and this country who have been vocal and created the situation where the politicians are willing to do this. And mm -hmm. that's really the key to all of these things is people getting involved, using their voices and creating the parade that the politicians get in front of, which is exactly what the Alberta Prosperity Project uh, has been born to do in this province. Yeah. Yeah. Can I just speak to that quickly? Um, yes. I agree with everything you just said, Chris, when it comes to grassroots activism. So uh, I've got folks here, I've got roots in Alberta, but I'm a born British Columbian girl and I did a long tour of duty in, in Ottawa and a bit on the oh, East Coast. I was too. Oh, neat. Okay. Yeah, I'm a, um, I'm a BC girl as well. Where Whereabouts are you from in BC? <laughs> I was born in Campbell River and I grew up in Kamloops and then spent my teenage years back in Campbell River. Okay, so similar. I was from Hope and then I went over to Courtney. So oh, nice. just, just yeah. my, first t my first TV job was running Campbell River television. Wow. Yeah. It was one of the last uh one of the last independent television stations in all of North America. So uh, I'm huh. sure it's gone now. But uh so yeah, I'm I'm a Western girl. And so I will say though, as much as I love British Columbia, I always will. Um, my experience here in Alberta has just been astonishing. Uh, just to be able to witness the level of engagement, how passionate people are here about what their government is doing to them. And again, they don't care if it's blue or teal or whatever it is. They want accountability. They want smaller government. They want lower taxes. All of that stuff. We were in Red Deer, uh, my very good friend and colleague, Franco Terrazano, he's the federal director of the CTF, great guy. His mom lives like 10 minutes from my house. Um, we were at the Canada Strong and Free Conference in Red Deer back in, I think, November. Okay, went to this big, long conference talking about all the same sort of stuff, lower taxes, less waste, accountable government, great stuff. Um, I had booked some random hotel uh, for he and his girlfriend and for me to stay at. And we leave that conference, Red Deer completely separate, walk in through the lobby of this random hotel, and we trip over, I'm almost positive it was an Alberta Prosperity Project meeting. <laughs> like, <laughs> people set up, there was like 100 people there, everybody in chairs, everybody speaking. It was amazing. So this point is, is that you literally can trip over an accountable government, smaller government type freedom group yeah. in Alberta yeah. that is organized and they're pushing back and they're sending emails. It's amazing to see. Yeah. And yeah. so for folks who are watching this, who aren't in Alberta, yeah, it's possible for your, you to do this in your province, in your region. Like I've seen it. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. Folks like get off the bench. Like if you organize a group of your friends, 10 or 12 people and you door knock in your neighborhood mm -hmm. and you have little flyers and you explain stuff, boy, that really gets people talking. And it's one of the reasons why the Taxpayers Federation, we were born in 1990, and it was a merger between the Alberta Taxpayers Ratepayers Organization and the Saskatchewan Taxpayers Federation. And we teamed up and became federal. And it's because of that sort of prairie populism. I, I That's that's interesting that you said that. Uh, British Columbia is, it's got a very, very fast growing freedom movement. And the reason for that is even a conservative movement, the conservative party of British Columbia is making a comeback. I met the leader, uh, John uh, uh, Rustad, mm -hmm. Rustad, I think I got right. And Rustad, he is a, yep. like, speaking of that guy, he, he is switched right on the guys on the ball and he knows what that province has to do. 
I just uh, did a, a little Zoom meeting with uh, our friend Ken Drysdale over at Manitoba Stronger. They're doing the yeah. same thing there, grassroots activism. And as a matter of fact, in British Columbia, there's a group that I attended last year uh, called We Unify. You can find them at weunify.ca. February 27th, I'm heading to Victoria to speak at one of their events. They've invited me to fly me out there to speak. And then in June, I'm going to return as a keynote speaker for the third weunify.ca conference that has some absolutely incredible, amazing, freedom-minded individual speaking that honestly, I really have no business brushing shoulders with, but I, I get to nonetheless. So uh, that might be something to look into. Uh, and folks, if you're watching from other parts of the country, there yeah. are grassroots initiatives happening all over this, this country. And uh, I, I would sure encourage you, keep an eye on what we're doing in Alberta here, but uh, participate in your own province as best you can, because the, the more voices we have across this country, the better. And to that point, take our ideas, please. Like yes. straight up, like, again, we don't care if you <laughs> vote Green Party or People's Party or we don't care. We want lower taxes, less waste and accountable government. We want those three things. And we want to help people push for those things in their government. Because for all of us, not just Ex one province. We exactly. all need it. Exactly. So if you want to, just a quick plug, go to taxpayer.com. Okay, we have little, they're older, but they still are relevant. There's little guidelines there on how to start a rate payers group, how to go to your local city hall. How, there you go. You know, how do I set up a ratepayer organization? How do I write a letter to my local politician? How do I make that phone call? Right. And it's a lot of how to on there. And if you're kind of curious, gee, what is my carbon tax rate here? <laughs> Search that on our news site. Right. We've got those are all our news releases. Those are our columns. Just take them, <laughs> like, yeah. please. That's why we post them on the Internet. Just take them, copy them, mimic them. And if you start doing that, all of a sudden, politicians will start listening to you. Mm -hmm. because again, we'd like to think it's because they're altruistic and they want to do the right thing. And maybe that's true. But also if you're breathing down their neck, they might think they might not have a job next election. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden they start really caring about your issues too. And that's how you get that two-way relationship and that accountability and you can make change happen. It's not easy. Okay. You're going to wind up having a long Wednesday night meetings. Okay. Like you got to, it's a participatory sport though, folks. That's because right. if you just and it stay can home, be fun. it can be fun. Look at the fun we're having here. <laughs> yeah, and sometimes there's even cookies. There's t-shirts, right? This is like, no my cookies. boss made this. I love this one so there much. You go. That's awesome. Right? Yeah. And so, so just get off the bench and do it because again, and also it's fun. And to your point, Chris, you'll get some fellowship out of it, right? Because mm -hmm. you're oh. on the same team and you're being happy warriors. Yeah. Yeah. We've been missing that for the last, I mean, my entire adult life politics is, has not been a, a, a participatory participatory sport. Mm -hmm. It's been something that we spectate and complain about and throw popcorn at the TV when it doesn't go our way. And that's not the way it's designed. You know, we we if we if we figure that out and we start playing, then uh, you know we're going to have a lot more fun, a lot more success, and a lot more prosperity for that matter. You will because um, as forget who he was paraphrasing, but Pierre Polyev did paraphrase and say something like, if you don't take an interest in politics, politics will take an interest in you. Yeah. 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 And did I think that while he's eating an apple, I, I can't remember if he was doing the <laughs> apple thing, then that's pretty funny. Um, that was all. Yeah. And I think it was Reagan who said something funny, like uh, if you're not at the table, you're going to be on the menu. Yeah. So yeah. you better wake up. And this is why we get to the point of half of our money 
now going to various forms of government. Yeah. Uh, there was a gentleman, I assume it's a gentleman, it's an anonymous person on Twitter X. He said something like, stop what you're doing, close your eyes, picture doubling your salary. Mm -hmm. How much better would your life be if your salary were doubled? It actually is. You're right. Except the government is taking half your money and spending whatever. Bingo. Right? And that was harsh, yep. but so true. And so this yeah, is we don't, folks. We don't have an affordability problem. We don't have a grocery store CEO making money problem. We have a tax problem. Mm -hmm. And they're blaming it on capitalists who take risks in order to provide goods or services to us that wouldn't otherwise be available. It's not, it's not their fault. It's the government's fault because they're emptying the trough. Yes. Did you want to get into carbon tax for that? Yes. Oh, yes. yes. I love the carbon tax. <laughs> I love eating the carbon tax. Yeah. So here we are. I don't know what the temperature is outside for you guys, uh, but here in Lethbridge, I think with the wind chill, it was minus 27 when I went to go get my kids. Oh, that's balmy. I could actually be outside right now there. You'd be in shorts. Yeah. yeah ready to rock. <laughs> Flip flops. So all this is to say uh, the carbon tax is typically referred to as a tax on everything. Mm -hmm. And for folks who just woke up and from a coma and they don't know what's happening on days of our lives. I think Bo eventually married Hope and Marlena got rid of her demon and all that stuff. So I actually know those names. <laughs> I, right? That was from back when I used to watch it when I was a kid. So, so now we have two carbon taxes. Mm -hmm. The first carbon tax currently is $65 a ton. Yeah. In normal people talk, that costs you 14 cents a liter of gasoline, 17 cents a liter of diesel, and 12 cents per cubic meter of natural gas. Okay. So on average, that costs you around $10 extra when you fill up a minivan, around 15 bucks extra every time you fill up a pickup truck. And for a trucker driving a big rig, filling up those two diesel tanks costs roughly an extra $150, $160 extra just in the first carbon tax. Yeah. Okay. Now start picturing it at a layered level. Okay. You're a farmer. You are heating your barn that is mm -hmm. full of chickens or full of pigs, whatever it is you're using to feed us. Thank you very much, farmers. Or you're drying the grain, okay, using natural gas or propane. Farmers actually pay carbon tax on that. Yeah. They don't pay the tax on the diesel to run their tractor because it's marked fuel. But a lot of folks don't know that they're paying carbon taxes on heating their barns and drying their grain. And in most cases, it's thousands of dollars extra, okay? That is a huge problem. So that's right at the farm. Then the trucker goes and picks it up. Boom, there's your carbon tax. Yeah. Then he trades it over to maybe a train. <laughs> the locomotive is filled with diesel. That's how that thing runs, okay? Yeah. You're noticing the layers? Then yeah. another truck picks it up. There's carbon tax. Then the grocery store has to keep things hot and cold. They don't use dilithium crystals to do that, folks. They Why use not? natural gas. You yeah. love Star Trek? Me too. Yeah. So <laughs> this is so there's your layer of carbon tax cake, and we all have to eat it. Yeah. And this is why like things are so unaffordable right now. Yeah. That yeah. on top of inflation. But this is the problem with the carbon tax, is it is compounding. It's going to get worse. Trudeau mm -hmm. is going to raise this thing in just a few weeks. So April 1st, this thing goes up to $80 a ton. Yeah. What was the natural gas cost again? You said it in cubic meters. It well, was. It, yeah. it Right now, as we speak, it is 12 cents per cubic meter. I'm going to translate April that. 
to cost per gigajoule for those of us who see our bills in gigajoule. Oh, yes. Yeah, that yeah, yeah. is three dollars and a quarter or so, three dollars and twenty-five cents ish per gigajoule of natural gas. There's so about on- 30, 30 cubic meters in one gigajoule of natural gas. That's a lot of money. That's what that's double what I was paying for natural gas when I moved to Alberta in 2000. Crazy. So on average, based on the average use for a household, it costs Canadians about $300 extra per winter to heat their homes yeah. just in the carbon tax. If you're running We're propane, really, yeah. Yes. We're really getting heat that's pumped average. there. Pardon me? We're really getting heat pumped there. <laughs> that's a good term. I'm going to start using that. <laughs> that comes from my friend Jeff Rath. That's his, that's his term. <laughs> that's pretty good. I'm going to just steal it. Yeah. So yeah. that's very, you've been warned. So there's 300 bucks. It's about the same amount if you're running propane, because I know a lot of folks who are rural or if they're living, I know a lot of people because I'm from BC, a lot of people who live in RVs now year round, because that's all they can afford for housing. They're running propane. Um, So you're getting screwed uh, for about 300 ish dollars extra this year in the carbon tax. What's funny and weird is that folks who are using furnace oil, okay, people refer to it as heating oil, Back east, they were. It's actually usually called furnace oil. So about four percent of Canadians still use furnace oil. So for the folks across the prairies that still remember running an oil furnace, there were those big oval-shaped suckers, right? And you'd get them filled up. Apparently, back in the day, they used to have them inside the house. I was told in the prairies. Is that true? Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, on the east coast, they're usually outside, and they're up against the back of the house. Um, Again, only. four-ish percent of Canadians use furnace oil anymore. Mm-hmm. And they have the same carbon tax as diesel. So however many liters you're putting into your tank, times it by 17 cents. Yeah. Okay? yeah. So what's interesting here is the majority of the households that still use furnace oil are in Prince Edward Island, Nova Scotia, and to some extent, Newfoundland, Labrador, and a little bit in New Brunswick. Yeah. Weird. Guess where a lot of liberal seats are. Weird. That's for sure. Yeah. So if I can delve into some wonky stuff here, um, what's interesting there. So spoiler alert, this was a win. The fact that Trudeau blinked and said, people can't afford this. Oh my goodness. I have to do something. And uh, here's a break on the carbon tax. That's a win, man. That is a crack in that down. So that's a good thing. Okay. I know it's frustrating. Hmm? It was like his dad's uh, uh, Alberta salute that he did. It, You could hear the hackles raising across the rest of the country when that happened. Yeah. What mm-hmm. I found interesting politically, and this is not CTF, it's just political observation, okay, uh, from my years on the Hill and from living in Nova Scotia for years, um, the Atlantic caucus of the liberal government so, you know, liberal liberal party members are elected to be MPs in various ridings across Canada. Mm-hmm. The ones who are elected from the region of Atlantic Canada, the provinces I just listed, they have almost as kind of like an informal club. Okay. They usually refer to themselves as province name caucus. So in this case, they're usually called the Atlantic Caucus or the mm-hmm. Maritime Caucus. What's interesting here is some of the last of the old guard members of parliament within the Liberal Party are within the Atlantic Caucus. Hmm. So Lawrence McCauley, who's a minister under Trudeau, was there before Trudeau. He was there with Paul Martin. 
Okay. He was there as an opposition critic when Harper was prime minister. Mm -hmm. Okay. Older gentleman, very friendly man. Um, I just can't see him taking a lot of guff. Mm -hmm. And I can see him listening to his constituents who are saying, Lawrence, all of a sudden, because keep in mind, Atlanta, Canada wasn't paying the carbon tax. Yeah, like until right. this past July, yeah, they right. weren't. They mm -hmm. had a deal. And yeah. then all of a sudden the sticker shock hit them. And they're like, what the? Why did my gasoline jump like 14, 15 cents a liter overnight? What are you telling me? I have like an extra hundred bucks bill on my on my heating fuel just for this one fill up. Yeah. So those folks were filling the voicemails and the email inboxes and probably physically going down to the constituency offices over the summer mm -hmm. saying, nah, this is not going to fly. And then the Atlantic caucus of the Liberal Party gets a hold of the PMO and they're like, this is not going to fly because I'm going to lose my seat and that's not happening by. <laughs> and then they went and had this press conference. Uh, Stephen Gibo, the minister of the environment, wasn't there. And they made this hurried announcement to exempt people who use furnace oil only from the carbon tax for the next three years. Wow. What's happening within the next three years? Well, an election. There right? you go. Yeah. So this is where it's the, just the naked politics of it yeah. that I think got a lot of people going, whoa. And I noticed mainstream media, too. were like, what? Are you serious? Like, you're going to try to hide behind this fig leaf? Um, because now the majority of the rest of Canada use natural gas to heat their homes, yeah. which is cleaner burning, by the way, mm -hmm. than furnace oil. Oh, for sure. For sure. Yeah. But we don't get any break. So Why it's is that? What's that? Why is that? Because we're, because we're on the west side of uh, the country. Because right? our votes don't matter. See, this is what I find interesting, is the majority of folks in Ontario use natural gas, too. Oh, yeah. yeah. I guess so that's going to be interesting. But like I wonder if it'll be enough to tip their vote, though. Because there's a lot of things that I'll, Ontario is aligned with the Liberal Party on. Uh, the GTA has, I think, 85% of our federal bureaucracy resides in that area. Mm -hmm. And they are very, very dependent on government, big government. And they've so had a slow work. boil for the carbon tax. So it's been going up on them the same as it has here at West incrementally over the years. It was yeah. Atlantic Canada that got the sudden sticker shock. Yeah. Like they didn't start at 10 bucks a ton. They started, bang, at $65 a ton. Mm -hmm. So even so much so, I was hearing from relatives who were texting me saying, have you heard of this carbon tax thing? <laughs> yes. uh, yeah, as a matter of fact, we have. <laughs> so, but that's how much of a sticker shock it was for these yeah. folks. And again, yeah. a lot of these people in Atlantic Canada, like they're, they're not rolling in it. Yeah. You know, they've got seasonal jobs or, you know, they're living, you know, in lots, rural lots areas. Seasonal, seasonal jobs here in Alberta. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And a very good point. See, that's what I find interesting, too, is a lot of them are fly in, fly out. Right. Yeah. So now they're having this combination experience with this carbon tax. And to their credit, I think it was 79 percent, a big, healthy majority of Atlantic Canadians polled said yeah. everybody should get the same break on home heating fuel Absolutely. with the carbon tax. So that's credit right. to them. They didn't yeah. just say, no, too bad for you. They yeah. said all Canadians should get it. That's awesome. I have to correct myself. I misspoke. I said our vote doesn't matter. And I didn't mean our vote doesn't matter. I mean, our vote in the West 
can't tip the scales of an election already decided at the Manitoba board. Oh, no. That's what I'm getting Yeah, we're all used to that. Yeah. <laughs> we're sitting I just want to make sure because, you know, people sometimes take me quite literally with what I say. So I want to be clear. Our vote does matter. It's just yeah. we're not numerous enough to tip the scales yeah. of, uh, of a government. Yeah, it's, it's a math thing for sure. They, they yeah. Things need to change in Ontario and or Quebec and or Atlantic Canada for things to change. And again, regardless of party, this is all just math and filling seats. Right. That's right. Yeah. So I, I I follow a bunch of, we'll call them left and right people on X and whatever, just Good. because I like hearing both sides of the story and hearing the arguments. And one of the arguments that I just cannot wrap my head around that is very much orange is the fact that they consider the carbon tax to be a flow-through tax. Now, let me explain if people don't really know what that means. So you've got (laughs) GST that was originally at 7% and then it dropped down to 5%. But the idea behind the GST was it's, it's the, the money's collected, uh, uh, you know, kind of when, uh, when a manufacturer uh, builds something and then it's passed along to the next person and they keep paying that, tax until essentially it's the consumer that ends up paying the 5% on it. Really, that's kind of the idea behind a flow-through tax. But the way that it's being presented on X by all these other things is the carbon tax, you're paying it on your uh, on your farming, you're paying it on your truck. But layer in, cake from hell, but I explain. But in the yeah. end, if you need help and you apply to the government, the government will give you Carbon tax rebates. And I know my daughters get carbon tax rebates and they're thrilled when they get a $200 check. But it's like, really? Is that what you, is that the big sell point that the uh, the the other side, if you want to call it that? You know who doesn't to... get the carbon tax rebate? Who doesn't? The highest consumers. The oh, people yeah, with absolutely. the highest income, that, uh, the people that are doing the manufacturing, those types of things that are earning more money. Uh, and prospering and and contributing more to the economy, they don't receive that. that. That's right. And it's not a flow through. It doesn't just, you know, I'm paying this carbon tax and then the next group will take that money and pass it through to the government. No, I'm, I'm paying a thousand dollar here. The trucker's doing the thousand bucks, whatever. And and then finally the consumer ends up getting $200. If, if that's even what ends up happening. You might call it a wealth distribution tax. (laughs) So, again, I know there's people that are asking, so where exactly is this carbon tax money going? General revenue. So the Ukraine. $10 billion to Iran to deal with youth unemployment. However many, I can't remember how many million dollars they spent building an ice rink two feet away from the Rideau Canal. Giant rubber ducky. That's right. Yeah, exactly. Um, You know, we actually, I'm going to try to get through this one segment as a lady. Franco, my friend, describes it much better. We were paying senior citizens internationally to share their sex stories with audiences. I'm not senior? joking. We were giving Canadian taxpayers money to this traveling senior citizen story sex show internationally. Money like, well spent? They, they, this government wastes money at an Olympic level. Wow. Okay. They have almost doubled the debt. Yes, in, they have. You're yes. Right. In, in eight years, nine years, they have almost doubled the debt. Yeah. Our debt right now, 
good listener, <laughs> is more than $1 trillion. Again, astronomical number. If you started counting to a trillion right now, you mm. had all the loonies in the world, like Scrooge McDuck from DuckTales. You're swimming in them, okay? And you're adding them up. It would take you 30,000 years yeah. to count to a trillion. Okay? One trillion is one million stacks of one million dollars. Picture it. Picture it. So this is where we are at. To your point with the carbon tax, because we hear this a lot, the same yeah. as you do. And yeah. I do my very best. Debt to who? Yeah, great yeah. question. Um, so debt in this case, lots of different uh, organizations and countries own our debt. Okay. Yeah. If you want to keep Franco entertained for like half an hour, please email him. I'm not joking. The boy's got two degrees in economics. He doesn't talk about do you, it. Do you guys have metrics as to who holds our debt? Because I'm really interested too. He might have them. I don't have them offhand. I know that, you know, foreign governments, um, corporations, all sorts of companies and groups buy debt. I right? think that's so, an important thing for us to know. We should know that. It's yeah. sure. We should. I know a lot of it is China, but it's not all of it. Um, so definitely check that out. And again, it's also tied to our inflation. Okay. Mm -hmm. The fact that they printed money out of thin air has helped to, will the budget balance itself? Yeah, that was a good one, eh? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And uh, my favorite also was a balance, but <laughs> no kidding. Um, my bet, my, one of my favorites also was that he would have a balanced budget by 2019. That's what Trudeau had promised. So okay. this is before the darkness of the lockdowns and COVID and all that stuff. Okay, 2019, uh, he had promised to balance the budget and still didn't do it. To the point with carbon taxes, though, and I want to really put a pin in this. A lot of people do say silly things like, but you get more back than you pay in. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So, How? Exactly. Thank you. So just at the very basic of it, the government does not generate wealth. Okay? They are not an investment. Okay. If you give them money, they do not produce a bar of gold for you and give it to you. They mm -hmm. do not produce a widget and then sell it to you, as you know Thomas Sowell would say. They don't generate wealth under center block. This building does not do that, okay? If you give them money, your money is now gone. Mm -hmm. Now, you could argue that they turn around and use healthcare transfers. Okay, fair enough. All that understood. But the idea of paying the carbon tax and magically getting more back than you pay in, yeah. that just monetarily and numerically does not make sense. That's mm -hmm. not true. Okay. Number two, if that were true, why tax it in the first place? Mm. If you magically get more back than you pay in, wouldn't people be just go guns a blazing, filling up as fast as they can, burning as much fuel as they possibly can? Because, man, this, this one arm bandit at the casino is paying out. You right? are correct. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. So no, that but would be the purpose. Okay. We're saving the planet. No, we're, I love that you asked me that at that point because we're not. <laughs> okay. Oh, weird. So, I know, right? So lastly, on the numbers, lastly, on the numbers, the parliamentary budget officer. Okay. Arm's length, independent watchdog. Thank goodness they do their work. The parliamentary budget office themselves have said, that Canadians are poorer for the carbon tax. Lo and behold, they don't get more back than they pay in. Yeah, in yeah. fact, here in Alberta, the average family this year, 2024, 
will be out around nine hundred dollars mm-hmm. net. That's yeah. with the rebates factored in. I'll yeah. say that again, real slow. An average family in Alberta will be out nine hundred dollars this year with the rebates factored in. Yeah. So no, you do not get more back than you pay in. And again, that is not our, those aren't our numbers. Go read the parliamentary budget officer's report on it. They've got a whole bunch of really clear charts. You can look. To your I point, just heard clicking yeah, go ahead. on the keyboard. Somebody just hammered the keyboard saying $900 <laughs> is a small price to pay to save the planet. But wait, there's more. Exactly. <laughs> you, as an average Canadian family, pay $900 more for which you don't get a penny back. The person that runs the restaurant down the street from you they, them and their family pay personally $900 more. The business probably pay, pays close to four or $5,000 right. more. Those costs in turn filter down to you, the consumer, through the goods and services they produce. So yeah. not only are you paying $900 more out of your pocket, but your money is worth less because the goods and services you generally buy are also subject to this. So this is a very serious compounding issue. And if you... If you only think about that $900 you're out, you're missing probably the other 80% of money that you would otherwise have in your pocket if that carbon tax didn't exist. But the government never talks about that, do they? No, they don't. No, they don't. And number one, 900 bucks is a lot of money. Okay. It is. That's, you know, two two or three car payments, depending on what kind of car you've got. That's a month worth of groceries that I could get through with not that amount of money like that is that's a lot of money but to your point it is compounded it isn't just that nine hundred dollars yeah you're right and to your point on the environment okay i want to reach out to the folks who are watching if you happen to be watching and you happen to consider yourself a small e environmentalist okay i hear you chris if you lived in campbell river you'll know exactly what i'm talking about i've been out on the ocean with the super pod of the orcas okay mm-hmm. I have swum in the Campbell River with the salmon. That's awesome. Okay. I've had, like, this is from, I, I buy everything thrift. Okay. I buy everything second because it, it saves you money and it saves the cost of production of yeah. all the stuff that goes into making it. Okay. Yeah. So I get it. I hand sewed my baby's cloth diapers. I understand what you're trying to do with yeah. saving the planet and helping the environment. Mm-hmm. Folks. It's not working. The carbon tax as paid by average people in Canada, the consumer carbon tax in Canada, the 10 bucks per minivan, the 15 bucks per pickup truck, the $300 a month punishment to heat your house is not helping the environment. And here's why. Canada as a population, and again, this isn't our data. Parliamentary budget officer has said this. In fact, Justin Trudeau said this. The prime minister said this in French during a big talk show years ago. The population of Canada, we produce less than 2% of global emissions. Meaning if we all cease to exist, God forbid, if we all say went into a cave and we stopped producing food and we stopped trucking our food and we stopped heating our homes, stopped everything, it wouldn't make a dent in global emissions. Understand this for the environmentalists who are trying to save the world. It doesn't make a dent in global emissions. If, however, we took a look at a place for the argument's sake, let's look at India because they're a bit more relatable. Okay. 
They're part of the Commonwealth for a long time. They are a democracy. A lot of similarities. Lots of uh, folks of Indian descent, especially on the West Coast. Okay. Big fabric part of Canada. Okay. There you go. So yeah. take a look at India. Look at that sucker. And then China to an extent as well. But for argument's sake, look at India. India, around two, between 200 and 300 million, because the stats are swimming on it, between 200 and 300 million people burn wood and yeah. dried animal refuse every Biomass. day, yeah. every day, yeah. indoors to heat their homes and cook their food. Okay. So one, that emissions thing that you just showed, exactly true. And yeah. then you've got the heavy particulates. Just imagine the indoor air quality in those situations. Yeah. Yeah. Largely being gathered, the fuel, by the way, is largely gathered by women and children. Okay. Every day, all day. They're asking to buy our natural gas, which yeah. is way cleaner burning. So if good folks, you in global emissions are your key thing, like it keeps you up at night, it gets you up in the morning. Okay, tackle the big end of the arithmetic problem. Because charging Nancy 10 bucks per minivan and nuking Mike, the truck driver, for what's going to be $200 very soon, every time he fills up his big rig to deliver your food, isn't helping the environment. Can I drop some truth bombs here? You can. <laughs> on, on the uh, climate change and environment thing. Yeah. Folks, if you really want to do something for the environment, Alberta should be producing more oil and gas, not less. And let me tell you why. You want to save the whales? Do you know what the single most influential impact, positive impact for whales was? Oil and gas. Because we no longer burn whale blubber and lanterns now we burn stuff that we get out of the ground. You want to keep your cities cleaner and reduce smog? Guess what did that? Uh, improved technology in oil and gas. We've migrated mass transit over to natural gas. We have natural gas refueling stations, all sorts of things. You want to um, deal with global emissions? If there was unimpeded trade from Alberta to anywhere in the world and we could send our resources that we produce ethically and responsible here in Alberta, and we were supplying China's demand for LNG. LNG alone, by producing more oil and gas here in Alberta, we would reduce emissions by 20% in China alone. China's responsible for 30% of global emissions. You want to save the planet and reduce emissions? Let Alberta take a chunk out of China's emissions by giving them what they want, prospering and benefiting for it, and advancing technology and doing more here in our province. That's one of the initiatives that our current government wants to do. I do not buy into the net zero thing at all. Um, I've spoke out publicly against it on numerous occasions. Our premier wants to move Alberta to net zero by 2050. I disagree with net zero. I do agree with what she says about Alberta producing more oil and gas in order to achieve the emissions targets that the feds want. Now, what makes more sense to punish Canadians with carbon taxes that reduce their prosperity, bring them back into lower prosperity, which, as you can see from history and statistics, the lower the prosperity uh, of, a, of a, a country or a region, the higher their environmental impact. That's not going to do anything for us. We should be doing exactly the opposite. And that's why it's so important for you folks to pay attention to groups like what um, uh, over at taxpayer.com there. Go look at what they're presenting you. The information's there. The the uh, 
the, the knowledge that you need to become the parade that the politicians want to get in front of is all there. You just have to know it. And we can save the planet. Cool, right? To your point, Chris, uh, I'm a book nerd and I collect slash hoard like old books. And one of them was from the 50s. It was one of those great sort of, you know, prosperity type things. Wow, zowie, we're going to populate the moon type, really future optimistic looking books. And it also was uh, history looking. It was looking back. And it included, I'll try to pull it up on my phone while we're talking. It included a cartoon, like a political cartoon that was from, I think, the 1880s. And it was a bunch of whales, like humpback whales um having a cocktail party and they were having a big celebration and i was like what is this and i'm reading it and there's this big banner and there's what they were celebrating was the discovery of mineral oil ah. they, to your point chris they apparently obviously this predates me they were apparently using and depending upon whale oil so much that that is what they referred to just as oil all the time. There it is. Yep. Whales are party. There you go. That's amazing. Isn't Google amazing? So yeah. there it is. Um, I don't know what McGill's take on it was, but that is the image. And if you if you expanded it, there you'd see the bunting, you'd see the banner. But basically what they're celebrating is the discovery of what they called mineral oil. And they used that to differentiate from whale oil. That's how new and miraculous this was seen at the time. Now, yeah. all this is to understand that we have to be responsible, we have to be sustainable, all of that stuff. We get that. Our point is, is that the carbon tax just punishes people for living, okay? For eating your home, for eating, for trucking, all that stuff. And it is not helping the environment. It's not stopping emissions. Even if we were the ones creating all of it, and we're not by a country mile, right. it's not doing it because... People need to do those essential things of heating their home and eating and driving and trucking. Like that's essential. That's why you'll understand this too, having been from British Columbia. British Columbia has had the highest carbon taxes in Canada, in North America rather, since 2008. It was brought in by the BC Liberal government, by the way, which is often seen as the right-wing party, which is mm -hmm. often actually what's causing the big rift right now that you mentioned earlier on in British Columbia with their politics. So they brought that in. They've had it since 2008. It only keeps going up. They now have two carbon taxes. The first carbon tax is tied to Trudeau's mandatory minimum, but it's technically the BC carbon tax. It's 14 cents a liter. Their second carbon tax is 17 cents a liter. Wow. At the pump. Yes. So this is why... If, so I'm a big fan of the Crow's Nest Pass, Highway 3. It drives right from Lethbridge all yep. the way out back yep. home to Hope. Yep. Um, mm -hmm. That's why when you have that experience, when you're driving through Crow's Nest and you hit Sparwood, and you're like, what the heck? And you have that sudden jump. That's because of the second carbon tax. And it's yep. been there for years. It's a form of government fuel regulation that mm -hmm. makes it cost more. Now, don't tell them, but it doesn't apply to home heating there yet. But it does apply to gasoline and diesel. My point is, they've had those carbon taxes now for years, but their emissions keep on going up anyway. So outside of something crazy like a big lockdown or whatever that they had just a couple of years ago, that, never that. that line keeps going up of emissions, no matter what. Yeah. No matter that their, their gasoline is $2 a liter, no matter that people are struggling to afford everything, it keeps yeah. going up. Why? <laughs> because people can't freeze to death and they have to keep on eating food. 
So that demand is what economists would call inelastic. Yeah. Okay. They have to keep heating and eating and using energy. And so this is why we're pleading with the government to stop this pointless punishment of people. And we're really glad that is why the Conservative Party has now flipped back over <laughs> and mm -hmm. has changed their tune and is now again promising to scrap the carbon taxes. For a while there, they went on some crazy goose chase of we were just kidding and we're totally pro-carbon tax now. That was a scary moment in time. But they're now back to saying they want to scrap it for all of these same reasons. Yeah. I want to ask a couple of questions. I know people, uh, you know, they've been on here for about an hour and a half. They asked. Oh, wow. Questions. Has it been that long? <laughs> I know, Sorry. Well, it's, it's so easy for us to talk this long. Um, Carrie, don't but, forget to talk about the WEF. <laughs> it's in there. It's definitely in there. And, and it's an important thing to even talk about. It but is, yeah. People ask questions right at the beginning. And of course, now they're asking the same questions again. I did see them. I flagged them. So let's just get to write okay. some of Chris Sims, what is your op opinion about Daniel Smith and the job she's doing and also Scott Moe's opinion? I guess okay. in terms of just, you know, because you, you are wearing the taxpayer uh, federation uh, umbrella, maybe just talk in terms of what they're doing in terms of uh, the tax. Sure. Tax um, so just right off the top, um, yeah. I've worked around and known, uh, I almost called her Danielle. I've worked around and known the premier now for probably 15 or 20 years because we're around the same age and we worked in media. So you wind up at conferences right. and whatnot. Right. And I did lots of hits with her on her radio show. Um, lovely person, like so easy to get along with. Right. Mm -hmm. So just that on the table, <laughs> wanted to let people know um, I have a lot of time for her as a human being. Uh, taxpayer wise, we've been generally very happy with what her government has done. So right off the top during the uh, UCP leadership race, she, she jumped right up and signed, I've still got it here in my office, signed the pledge to never impose a PST on Albertans. Mm -hmm. So that was right. a really good pledge. And while she was doing that, she was even quoting old white papers that we had from like 15 years ago. So she reads our stuff, like she gets it. Um, her government also has done major things like balanced budget legislation, mm -hmm. okay? They've passed a law so that 50% of the surplus cash must now go onto the debt that's awesome. Okay. The yeah. other 50% has to go to either one-time spending or go into the Heritage Savings Fund. Again, yeah. awesome. Yeah. And they also, this was key. It didn't get a lot of play because it sounds wonky, but it's really important. They committed to keeping spending increases to the rate of inflation and population growth. Hmm. What that means is, is that for your previous budget, they have to take a look at that year's inflation and population growth, do the math, and then they're only allowed to increase their spending column by that much. Mm -hmm. That sounds weird, but I, I went back along with Franco and a few others on the team. We went back 25 years, which is how long the CTF has been asking them to do that for, yeah. and asked, how much money would we have if we had done that then? Yeah. It's hundreds of billions of wow. dollars. Wow. And nothing for resource revenue, not talking about windfalls or that is just that simple little thing. So praise where it's due. That's really important. Mm -hmm. And she also suspended the fuel tax for an entire year. So generally, really good job. We put her on the nice list last year for that reason. Yeah. But <laughs> there's been some things that have popped up. It's a new year. Yeah, It's a new year. And uh, how do I put this? We really like what she's saying. 
mm-hmm. we're taking issue with what some of her government is doing and what Bingo. her finance department is doing is they're listening to the bureaucrats at the treasury board too much yes. mm-hmm. and they are getting a little bit of dome disease up there in edmonton And they've been whispered to by these bureaucrats saying, we have to raise taxes. So what they did is they partially reinstated the fuel tax. So now on the same day that NDP Premier of Manitoba, Wab Canoe, fully suspended his fuel tax, saving 14 cents a liter. Mm -hmm. On the same day that Saskatchewan Premier Scott Moe, it's like picked a bar fight with Prime Minister Trudeau and yeah, saying we're not going to collect the carbon tax anymore on home heating. Yeah. Like yeah. you want to have a Donnybrook here. On that same day, the Alberta government hiked our fuel tax by nine cents a liter. Yes, they did. Yeah. That's on bad. the heels of a five point five billion dollar surplus announcement, Thank I was pissed straight off about that. As you should be, sir. <laughs> so were we. Yeah. Um, and this is again, I can hear people right now. But 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 deficit. Okay. We would not be squawking about this if they were teetering on the brink of a deficit, okay? Mm -hmm. They're not. To your point, Chris, they have a $5.5 billion surplus after a year of not collecting this tax. I know. Yeah, Yeah, you're right. Dude, they can afford to do this. We can afford. We we can afford to not pay that tax. Alberta, okay? Alberta. if, If they extended it by another six months... Okay, wind up that high-heeled shoe, my dear, and boot that can down the street in your pencil skirt. I know she can do it. Boot. Yeah. If she did that for six more months, okay, we and put 50% of the surplus down on the debt, which they've agreed to do, they would still have a $1.2 billion surplus going into the budget. So this is where we're frustrated. Of yeah. Mathematically, they can afford this. And politically, this is crazy that they hiked fuel taxes. Because mm-hmm. Trudeau is going to nail us with a carbon tax hike in just a few April weeks. April 1st. Sure is. So generally yeah. speaking, we're super happy. But yeah. we're now seeing some warning lights, including a fuel tax increase. And yeah. we're hearing weird rumblings now. You probably saw the Rick Bell column in the Sun newspapers a couple of weeks ago mm-hmm. saying, oh, well, that income tax cut that we promised during the election, that's kind of a slow roll, incremental, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. That is not what they said during the election. So what do we, we have to do? We need to phone our members, our, our MLAs. I'm serious. I don't care where you live in Alberta. You get on that horn. You email your MLA and say, hey, <laughs> pull up your socks. You, we were told that we were getting a big income tax cut by creating a lower income tax bracket. The first $59,000 worth of earnings are now going to be taxed at 8% instead of 10%. That was going to save, you said, the average family 1500 bucks a year. Yeah. So pitter patter. Like, we want this announced in full in the budget. So that's what folks in Alberta should definitely do. And I would urge them, again, we understand if Liker is a person, we get it. This is about policy and it's about taxes and numbers. Phone Minister Horner's office then. Phone the finance minister. If you don't want to go after the premier, phone the finance minister. Because it's that group of politicians who are listening to the treasury board bureaucrats. And tell them, hey, man, I want to see my fuel tax suspension kicked ahead at least another six months. See where the books are at once summer hits and see if we can keep affording this. But right now we can afford it and we can't afford stuff. We've got an affordability problem here. So please cut us a break. So the money that we... Sorry. I was just going to say, probably the $5 billion that we would have made in terms of... Well, let's just call it... uh, 
uh, money that we made from oil and gas production. Like it's probably a big chunk of that. Is it possible that Danielle was a little bit concerned about coming this year and, and with the federal government going, Hey, we're going to cut, we're going to limit your production or cut your production. So in theory, you actually won't be making the same amount as you did in previous years. If I, I don't think she's concerned about that. No, if that's the case, um, we haven't heard that. Okay. And to put it nicely, um, the phone lines are open. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And if that had been the case, uh, I think we would have gotten an indicator. Yeah. But all we're getting is static silence, which is not typical. Yeah. So yeah. this is where we're concerned of like, hey, uh, this is where, correct me if I'm wrong, um, this is where my hunch is that they're getting a bit of dome disease. So the mm -hmm. same bureau, keep in mind, the same bureaucrats that work to Treasury, okay, this is permanent government, okay? You're, the people you elect to the legislature, that is, those are just like the politicians that you get to see, okay? Yeah, yeah. Most of your government is permanent government and you never know their names and you pay all right. their salaries and yeah. they're the ones that usually run the shop, okay? Yeah. Those are the same people that are always floating this trial balloon of we need a PST in Alberta. Yeah. Isn't it so embarrassing that all my other treasury board friends and all the other provinces, they get a PST. I want to yeah. be like the cool kids. These are those same people that are yeah. saying we can't we can't afford a fuel tax suspension they can and if there's some gigantic terrifying boogeyman that is about to jump on all of us in march that we're not aware of they haven't made that case they haven't said hey we're gonna hit a wall here or we're gonna go over a cliff we have to be super careful they have yeah. not said that yeah someone mentioned that the fuel tax is supposed to be used for infrastructure upgrades and things like that no 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 you go and look at the numbers and what we collect in fuel tax is way way more than what we spend on infrastructure in this province and then you got to ask where the rest of the money go uh chris when you're mentioning about talking to our mlas there's a couple of points i wanted to bring up and the first one is this is critically important folks you catch more flies with honey than vinegar the days of going and screaming at politicians are over it's time no, to be tactful respectful treat them like human beings and get your point across in a way that they will receive I am guilty just as much as anyone else of being hot-headed and flying off the handle and delivering a message in such a way that the recipient would not acknowledge it or would not hear what I'm saying. We cannot do that anymore. We have to be tactful how we're interacting with those that we want to influence. Number two, don't just phone your MLAs. Don't just write letters. Go to your CA meetings, your constituency yes. association yes. meetings. Go be present and, and speak. This is the idea that democracy happens every four years and we just pick a government by checking a, a box at Valtech <laughs> is ludicrous. I thought that was the way it was until three years ago. Something happened in the world that opened my eyes and made me pay attention. But go to those meetings, talk to the CA board. That's where you can uh, tell your MLA what you are concerned about and what you want brought into the legislature. That's one of the initiatives that the Alberta Prosperity Project fully supports. Becoming involved civically and engaged in democracy by going to all of these things. We never did it in the past. We ended up with carbon tax. We ended up with anti-prosperity legislation. We ended up with anti-human legislation. We ended up with gender ide ideology and uh, sexual orientation uh, crap in our schools being pushed on our kids without parents knowing what's going on. These are all symptoms of a, of a disease, which is political apathy. apathy and we will cure the disease 
by uh, uh, by becoming civically engaged again. So, yeah, if if you need more information about that, we have some information on our website. Um, our our friends over at Take Back Alberta, they're wonderfully adept at teaching people how to do these things. Gain the knowledge, gain the power, make a difference, and, and yeah. that's uh, yeah, nicely. Yeah. Nicely. Yeah. yeah, we agree. Uh, it's one of the things that the Taxpayers Federation, we can get feisty, um, mm -hmm. but we always try to be a happy warrior. Yeah. Right. For two reasons. One, this stuff can get depressing, like really fast. You start talking to people about the amount of debt and interest payments and stuff like that. That stinks. Nobody likes hearing that forever because it gets you really down really fast. Yeah. Also, um, in order to get the politicians' attention, Again, you have to be a happy warrior. Okay. So be firm, but like, again, to Chris's point, please be polite. Yeah. There's no point in screaming, yelling, and frothing because they're just going to tune you out and hang up on you. If I can quote Maya Angelou, um, she said, People often won't remember what you said, but they'll always remember how you made them feel. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's true. Right. That's right. So yeah. keep that in mind when you're talking to them. What teeth Rob, is that? Yeah, what teeth does the Taxpayer Federation have to help with this? And do you have the ability to protect our tax dollars? So this is our mission. We've been around since 1990, okay? Uh, again, our, our, our mission statement is lower taxes, less waste, and more accountable government. Mm -hmm. And so we, we have directors across Canada. So one in BC, one for the Prairies, one here in Alberta, big one in Ontario, Atlanta, Canada. And then our big one is the federal director. So Franco Terrazano, like I said, um, he's an economist by training, love playing baseball. Um, his, he's an Alberta boy and he's out there in Ottawa. We also have, uh, now we have an investigative journalist full time with our, within our, our, our bullpen. Yeah. And we did that, uh, largely because money where your mouth is, right? I just finished talking a lot about the media and their mm -hmm. role and responsibility. And the CTF agrees with that. And so good for them. They put their money where their mouth is. Yeah, and yeah. we noticed that investigative journalism was an endangered species. Okay. Mm -hmm. There were fewer and fewer of them. So yeah. we hired Ryan Thorpe. He's an awesome investigative journalist. We created a little terrarium for him and we set him up next to Parliament Hill and he's living there now. And he's the one that breaks stories like uh, it was Prime Minister Trudeau, surprise, surprise, that was staying in the $6,000 per night hotel room. Right. Uh, he's the one that finds out that we spent four hundred thousand dollars on the public service bureaucrat excellence awards that included red red carpet, uh, duck prosciutto and a whole bunch of other fancy food that I can't pronounce um, wow. and a whole like golden statues. Like so we're the ones that churn up a lot of those stories and a lot of that data. Quite often when you see a story about ridiculous government waste or lack of accountability, and it's on the front page of the National Post, usually that's because of the work we do. Mm -hmm. So we either break it ourselves or we hand it to a journalist and say, Merry Christmas, yeah. report on this. Um, so to your viewer's point, that is our role, is to basically be the Rottweiler, mm -hmm. right, to, to guard your money. Now, yeah. we can't physically intervene and stop the CRA from taking half your paycheck. Uh, but we are the ones that use a lot of these tactics, both in the media and more behind the scenes now, largely. Uh, so direct democracy stuff like email campaigns, massive petition draws, all that sort of stuff to make change. I'll yeah. give you a good example that's very recent. I just mentioned previously that for a while there, 
the conservative party lost its mind and started saying they were pro carbon tax. So our people obviously didn't like that. So one of the, one of the main issues that our supporters and anybody can become a supporter of the taxpayer federation. One of the main issues they keep raising with us is the carbon tax. Scrap Mm -hmm. it, scrap it, scrap it hundred percent against it. So when the conservative party flipped on that, We were writing editorials, we were writing columns, we were sending emails, we were doing petitions. And we timed it actually to when their caucus meetings were happening at the Conservative Party level. Mm -hmm. Because I've worked there. I've worked on Parliament Hill a lot. I know their meeting and everybody does who's worked in the parliamentary precinct. Wednesday mornings, that's when they're all getting together behind closed doors, phones down, and you hash it out. Okay, that is supposedly when you're supposed to be completely off record, but you get to have at it with your leader. And say, Mm -hmm. my constituents want this, whatever it is. And all parties do this. So we were timing these email blasts to these members of parliament. So while they're walking in to the caucus meeting, their phones are blowing up Mm -hmm. from their constituents every single time. And now they're opposed to the carbon tax again. So we, and it wasn't just the CTF, of course, it was a massive group effort and it was the MPs themselves, credit where it's due. Right. And the individual citizens who have never heard of us, that's fine. Um, but those are the sort of mechanisms and ways that we urge and cajole and shame <laughs> politicians into doing the right thing. Hmm. And we also, oh, we take them to court, too. So we do the fun stuff like handing out golden pig statues as trophies. Yes. So the yeah. Yeah. Awards every right. year we have fun no. um, and we handle golden pig statues to the politician who wastes your money in the most spectacular and hilarious way possible. Uh, but we do the serious stuff, too. We have lawyers that will show up on the floor of the Supreme Court full robe and argue things like getting rid of the No More Pipelines Act, which yeah. we did, um, yeah. anti-carbon tax, all that stuff. Yeah. So we do both. And also we go to committee. You can see footage on our website of Franco Terrazano sitting there at committee, seven o'clock at night, seven o'clock in the morning, doesn't matter. And he's the one getting grilled by members of parliament. Yeah. So while all the other interest groups and of the world are saying, give us more money, we're the ones showing up on Parliament Hill saying, stop spending, turn yeah. this tap off. Yeah. So that that is that is our role. Well, that, that sounds that's very a- expensive because I know lawyers are expensive. So Great how segue. is the Taxpayers Federation funded? Great that's- question. We are funded by free will donations. Hmm. So the vast, 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 I don't know the numbers, but like way up there in the majority of our donations are, I think it's under, is it under $500? Under $1,000? They're small donations. And so like, and they're coming from Canadians. And so again, we've been around since 1990. If you want to go read our story of how we got started and how we're funded and all that jazz, you can go right to our website. It answers all the questions right there. And yeah. there's a lot of FAQ on there for how we're funded. Yeah. Uh, what I really love about it is that we hear from them all the time. So we we reply personally to the emails of the people who donate to us. Um, the most of the folks that I hear from are small business owners and farmers and moms and dads and senior citizens and retired uh, police officers and retired teachers, you name it, Canadians, right? Like if you just sit there and picture, you know, the average mom and pop Canadian, those are people who donate to us. And what I find really cool is that people often refer to us as, as a charity. We're not. Mm-hmm. We're a not-for-profit, but we're not a charity. 
And there's a big reason why, because we don't even give you a tax credit form. Yeah, we want exactly. to have zero government involvement, zero yeah. taxpayers money. Okay. Yeah. Taking nothing from the government, even in the form of a tax credit. So if you donate to us, you don't get a tax credit mm -hmm. because that's how serious and hardcore the taxpayers federation was when we got started and we're still that way. So you don't have any funding coming from outside globalist institutions that uh, advocate for policy that's anti-human in nature and strips away our prosperity, rights, and freedoms? How do I put this? Uh, I think you could seal the border. Goodness forbid. Let's not have that happen. And it wouldn't affect us. Yeah. This is this is a Canadian thing. But again, if people want all the details and stuff, I'm not the finance girl. I, I'm paid to talk to folks like you and talk with the media and bark at politicians to do the right thing. But if you want any of that funding information, it's all right there. Well, well you're very thanks. good at what you do. So th thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I, and I was going to say, so we're, we're almost approaching two hours. And oh my we, gosh. I'm sorry. I know. We, so we try and keep it within, uh, within that because I know there's a lot of people that, you know, days out. Phase they out. have lives. <laughs> Did you think? Oh, they usually take, you know, three or four days to watch this after the fact, like, like I usually do when, uh, when I'm not involved and I have to listen to it for half an hour at a time. Um, I do the same with long form podcasts. Same thing. Oh yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and that's the thing too, is that you need, you need a, a two hour discussion to actually figure out pieces. But our mentality right now is we're TikTok. Give me, give me the 30 seconds. Give me the five minute version of this sort of thing. Right. And unfortunately that's just the way things are. Um, and, and with the Alberta Prosperity Project, we've had that comment many, many times. And so I'll reach out again. If someone is watching this and they're really good at, uh, at, at editing and maybe even just digesting what we've talked about and they're able to say, you know what, this is a great 30 second clip or a great three minute clip. Please get a hold of us at uh, contact or at, at contact us at, and I'll throw that up here in a second, at contact at albertaprosperity.com because we've got a job for you. We uh, we definitely have lots of these videos. We've got lots of things that need uh, some promotional stuff that's going to be doing. Again, we, we've got the Alberta uh, pension plan tour coming up. We've got even the Tucker Carlson thing. It would be nice to have uh, a commercial uh, up that. And there's so many other things that we've got planned throughout the year. So we could definitely use some help doing that. So if you've got some skills and you and you want to be able to to help further our cause, please contact at albertaprosperity.com. Chris, any uh, maybe maybe you know what again because we could just keep talking forever. <laughs> We'll have you back again because I always enjoy having you uh, and and listening to exactly you know your your depth of knowledge and experience and uh, and and so many things. You know, you think of taxpayer and you think, oh, it's just about where the tax dollars go, but there's so much more to that, right? And I think having you on here uh, it definitely educates the uh, our viewership. So thank you again. And, thank you uh, so much for having us. Thank you, Chris. Do you want to have any last words? Because you always have last words. Kind of speechless. Just kidding. I ate all the oxygen somehow through the screen. <laughs> so, yeah, this uh, this really ties into what the Alberta Prosperity Project is all about. We want to make this province a better place. Um, there's a lot of things that have to be fixed. And while, you know, we 100% stand behind any initiative that wants to make life better for, our, for Albertans. At the end of the day, you know, with, with the way things are set up, 
knowing that our voices are very rarely heard in the West, uh, of course, we believe that we need a referendum on independence. And we need that referendum to force the federal government to start negotiating some of these things with us. Uh, it, you know, the, the rubber really has met the road. Reality is starting to slap everybody in the face. And Alberta, in my opinion, ba based on evidence, uh, is in the best position to stand up against what the federal government is doing. And a lot of these things, the vast majority of these, these policy problems that we have, these tax problems that we have, are not things that we ask for. They're things that we've been subjected to. And the only way we're going to be able to stand up against it in any uh, meaningful and sustainable way is if we say enough is enough. You know, you guys want to go down this anti-prosperity path where you're making policy that number one, doesn't do what it says it's going to do. And number two, decreases our prosperity. We're all going with you. Yeah. And the only way we're going to make that happen is if we become knowledgeable and we get involved, get engaged in politics and, and make sure that our voices are heard so that the politicians will get in front of the parade we're creating. That's what we're doing here. We're trying to offer you the knowledge and the solutions. And uh, then the ball's in your court. You got to you gotta take the next step, get off the couch, and start attending things. So I would say I am more hopeful now in 2024 than I was in 2020 or 2021 or 2022 or 23 because we are seeing our efforts bear fruit. We're seeing politicians start to speak in our language. They're starting to talk about sovereignty. Our politicians are starting to talk about, you know, this fairy tale tax that really isn't benefiting Canadians. So we are accomplishing something. So, um, you know, have a little faith, don't lose hope, uh, stay involved, and we'll keep pushing forward together with organizations like the uh, CTF, giving us this knowledge, and we'll make some real difference, not only in this province, but in this country, because God yeah. knows everybody in this country needs it. I know uh, most of the uh, viewers viewers here have already know that we are compiling a list of names for uh, the, the referendum that we're uh, hoping to do as a citizens initiative. You can go to bit.ly slash yes. And uh, we're on the road to 600,000 signatures. That's basically what we need in order to get a citizens initiative based upon, you know, 20% uh, or 30%, 20%, I think is the threshold. So we're at 15,000 right now. I mean, it looks like a long way to go, but if you tell two friends and they tell two friends, we can pretty much get there. So if you've already signed up, great. Uh, and uh, if you have not, please do so. And, and likewise, tell your friends, tell your friends, uh, share, share, share alike this video, as we always tell people, share and like, and that helps the algorithms that are happening and uh, people get to see this that may not necessarily get the link directly from you. And uh, so we're, we're definitely optimistic that we can get this goal uh, by the municipal election, which I believe is in 2025. So we've got another, you know, almost two years in order to get this done. So. And with that, I guess that's how we'll wrap it up. So again, thank you so much, Chris Sims, for uh, coming on and uh, and everything that the Canadian uh, Taxpayer Federation does. Thank you. Thank you so much for having us. Excellent. And, and yes, absolutely. And uh, and just so you know, we do these webinars every Wednesday. So uh, we've actually got a few online. I'm just going to read out what we're doing. So. 
next week, January 17th, we have James Rogowski, who we've had on before, talk about the World Health Organization and the World Health Association. There's a lot of stuff that's coming up this year that needs to be talked about. Uh, on, on And also on January 24th, which I think I may change that date just because there's something else happening on the 24th yeah. of this yeah. right now. Uh, but we've got Ken Drysdale. Uh, he's going to be telling us about the results from the National Citizens Inquiry. We've uh, we've talked to him before, and now that things have digested, and uh, we're going to learn what has actually happened and what 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 we've learned from that. And then on January 31st, we have Trevor uh, Trevor uh, Toon from the Fraser Institute, and he's going to also be talking about the Alberta Alberta Pension Plan. And uh, Alberta Pension Plan, strictly the facts. So it's more just, it could be a dry show, but I think it's going to be a good show because even though it's just numbers, it's all the numbers that everyone needs to go through, especially I'll be retiring as soon as I possibly can. And uh, although right now I think I'll be a Walmart greeter until I'm 80. Uh, but Home Depot, yeah, come on, go to Home oh, Depot. Yeah, you're right. I should go yeah, you're right. <laughs> Actually, it's, so my Lowe's, so I went from a, a Revy to a Rona to a Lowe's, and now it's going back to a Rona, the exact same uh, building uh, that I'm at. So maybe maybe I'll be a Rona greeter because keep it in Canada, right? At least that's that's what they say. So there you go. So that's what we've got going on uh, the next few weeks. And uh, yeah, we, we have guests lined up. And uh, of course, you can always uh, pop over to the Chris Carey show and see what stuff we've got going on. I know Chris and I have been rather busy and, you know, it's, it's this time of year where we're the magical time of year where right. Carrie and I don't have to see each other. It's magical. <laughs> it's awesome, actually. <laughs> Oh, but we'll be back and we'll uh, we'll get some guests on because uh, I know there's a lot of other stuff that there's stuff that we just can't talk about on the uh, Alberta Prosperity Project because it just it would probably shut down Facebook. So. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, definitely take a look for that. And uh, with that, I'm going to say good night, everybody. Thank you for putting up with us for the last two hours. Good night, all. And, and thank uh, you, again, Chris. Absolutely, thank you so much. And we will see you guys again. Okay, cheers. Good night. Good night.